Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast, episode 45. Uh, definitely the biggest grin on my face before uh, I have started any podcast, and that's because it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce someone who I don't think I'm worthy of hosting, but let's see if, uh, if that changes. His Excellency, the British Consul General, Mr. Saif Usher. Mo, thanks very much. Great to be here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule and coming into the studio. We uh, met about a month ago, I think just before F1, at uh, a F1 gala event dinner. And uh, I was fortunate enough to share the stage with you and uh, ask you a few questions. And you were very gracious in my request at the time when I asked that you come on the show. And when I did follow up with you, you said when and where. So for, for, for that, I'm very grateful. Absolute delight. Really very, very happy to be with you, Mike. Thank you so much. How's your time been so far in Jeddah? I believe it's been three years you mentioned you've been here? Yeah, it's, I mean, arrived in the summer of 2018. And so from then until now, it, I suppose life divides up between before COVID and, and where we are today. It's been you know, such a tale of two halves almost. You know, we've had 18 months or so of living with COVID and the time before that. So, but throughout, I mean, it's, Genuinely, in um, diplomats, I'm always going to say nice things, but you know, of all the jobs I've done around the world, serving in different countries, being in Jeddah and being in Saudi Arabia has just been a terrific experience. Mm -hmm. uh, thrilling, really, from when I first arrived until today. And of course, you're no stranger to the region. You've done uh, you've done a few tours in uh, in the MENA slash Arab world. I have, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to spend a good few years in, in the Middle East. I've done a, a couple of tours in uh, Khartoum. Um, I've served in Iraq, uh, in Syria, in Jordan. And so as if I was just kind of working my way around to finally get to Saudi Arabia. And uh, well, we're very lucky to have you. I wanted to ask, I mean, I don't know much about what it uh, entails to, to be a consul. And, and I think a lot of my viewers would be interested to know what a typical day in the life of an ambassador or a consul general is. So can you touch on what would be, you know, your typical, let's say Sunday, which is the beginning of our week and how that would look like? Sure. I mean, perhaps if I explain what a, what a consulate does. So, I mean, our main embassy sits in the Riyadh, where our ambassador is based. Here in Jeddah, we're a consulate. So we're in the second city. And really what we focus on is in Jeddah, probably two main areas. I mean, one is trade and investment, which basically means helping British companies trade in Saudi Arabia and then working with Saudi entities looking to invest in the United Kingdom. Then the other half of what we do is really taking care of British nationals. So for us, which is primarily pilgrims, of course, uh, coming to the holy places. So every day is, is pretty much similar to, to the next. I mean, you, you, it's, it's like a business continuity thing more than any surprises. I think in, in terms of the big picture, in, in what we're trying to achieve, perhaps, yes. But, mm. but within that, I mean, there's a, there's a great range of activity which me and the team in the consulates are involved in. We're not a huge diplomatic mission, so we have two or three British staff and then uh, 35 to 40 locally employed country-based staff of, of different nationalities. So quite a diverse group of people working on lots of details. So our trade teams might be helping a, a creative company or an IT company or a transport company. Uh, our consular team can be helping a British national with, a, uh, with some difficulties about a document or British nationals facing other types of problems. Mm -hmm. So really, I mean, it can be something different every day, actually, because ultimately what we're dealing with is people on the ground. And so there's always a, you know, a diversity of opportunity for sure. 
is it demanding your job? I mean, are you in the office for a lot of hours per day? Do you look forward to your holidays? How demanding or stress level? What are your stress levels like? Uh, your um, I'm a I'm a pretty relaxed guy most of the time. I think you look at um, you know, a few grey hairs are appearing. Now, but, um, <laughs> you know, diplomats are not going to be at the top of people's lists for doing stressful jobs. But we keep busy, you know. And I think if if you're going to be successful in in diplomacy in any country, representing any country at all, it's it's about having a network. It's about understanding where you're living understanding the vibes and what's ultimately going on in a country so that you can best support your own country's interests, yeah. whether that's in trade or other areas. So, you know, the best diplomats get out, uh, meet lots of people and have fun as well. I'm not going to deny it. You know, yeah. and Jeddah's a very, very hospitable city, yeah. no doubt about it. Vibrant. And you, sir, for, further to your point about getting out and mixing with the locals, you've immersed yourself in this culture. Uh, you... Uh, are a Muslim and you visited the two holy sites of Mecca and Medina. Has that really helped you engage further with, uh, with the culture, would you say? Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, Mecca is only an hour away. We have British nationals visiting, certainly before COVID, over 125,000 a year coming into the kingdom. So being able to spend time in Mecca and in Medina to understand the issues that pilgrims might face, to understand their journey, mm. Is, is hugely advantageous for, for our work. I mean, obviously, on a personal level, it's wonderful. I remember in uh, 2019, I was able to spend time uh, with pilgrims, British pilgrims performing Hajj in Mina and Arafat and talking to them, most of whom it was their first time they'd perform Hajj. So you, you were there on the ground. I was there on the ground with it's the flag. Fantastic. And um, fantastic. You know, personally, it was wonderful to, to hear their stories. Professionally, I think it was just really important showing that you know, the UK government showing that it's on the ground, sharing those experiences, understanding the situation, and being able to help if need be. Yeah, you really are the, the the right man for the job, Your Excellency. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's it's refreshing to, to to hear that British mission or the British consul is uh, is, is is there in Hajj, is is there with with the, with the people who are traveling from the UK and elsewhere, and just to have that kind of level of representation um, in you know, the, the biggest Muslim event of the year is refreshing, honestly. Well, it's genuinely an honor and, 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 uh, and a privilege. And certainly, you know, when we see such large numbers, again, before COVID, and, and who knows what the future looks like. But typically, if you're on a hat, you'd have 25,000 British nationals amongst a sea of 2 million <laughs> other pilgrims. You know, 25,000 would come in for it. Yeah. Wow, which big is number. one of the bigger groups of, of, uh, of Western uh, pilgrims coming into the kingdom. That's a lot. It's I'm a comparing it to like stadiums that I know, and uh, 25,000 is, is, uh, is a lot of people to try to, to, to ensure that uh, are having a smooth experience that are pretty much all on your watch, <laughs> but not to put any pressure. Well, you know, I, I think if, if, you, if you compare the modern day Hajj with the experiences that people had, uh, in, in the past, it's a, it's a very different experience. Yeah. Um, in the past, the journey it was an immense part of that, that yeah. overall experience. Um, yeah. you know, the, the modern Hajj is an aeroplane. You come into Jeddah, you go to Mecca. And yeah. it's, a, it's a simpler thing. But, um, but nonetheless, I mean, the, the, the spiritual power and the experience that people have uh, performing Hajj is, is the same. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to be able to share that. Yeah. Has the route to becoming a diplomat in the modern day, today, any different to when you started your career? Um, I think in terms of the UK, and I started my career a long time ago. Not too long. 
Not too long, no. Um, it perhaps has changed. I mean, I'm slightly unusual in that I, I left school at 18. I didn't go to university. And I joined the, the Foreign Office in London as a, as a, as a young guy, as a, as a clerk doing paperwork, and have slowly, slowly worked my way up through the system. So I think certainly in that time, and we're talking uh, late 80s, let's leave it there, it was, I think it was perhaps a little bit easier. I think certainly in the UK, uh, working in the Foreign Office is a very popular thing to do. So there's lots of applications, very high standard, and lots of great qualified people apply every year. So I think that probably just pushes up the uh, level of difficulty and qualifications, et cetera. So perhaps it's changed. But, but I think you know, ultimately the kind of people who enjoy uh, diplomatic work are, are the same. I mean, it's a, you enjoy engaging, you enjoy meeting people, you're fascinated with the world, uh, you probably have interests in different parts of the world, uh, and you want to be able to contribute. And I think there's a great sense of public service that anybody working for government embraces, whether they know it or not, that serving the public one way or another is really what this is about. I think it's one of the things I enjoy. It's fascinating to hear that you started at such a young age bypassing university. Does that come due to a, a love for wanting to represent the country? Or let me phrase it this way. What would you say influenced you to want to pursue a career in diplomacy? Well, I think bypassing university was mostly down to my very bad A-level results. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> It is the hardest exam ever, anyone has ever had to take, by the way. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I told my parents at the time. I'm, I'm not sure they entirely bought it. But it certainly spurred me on in that I'm from the north of England. And the idea of uh, moving to London uh, was in itself the big adventure. But um, you know, the idea of then the Foreign Office was you know, something... Uh, to me, pretty glamorous, and this idea of being paid to travel around the world was Just sounds uh, like a dream. Yeah, absolutely, go for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, when when the opportunity came up, I grabbed it with both hands, and yeah, no regrets. Never look, never looked back. No, not at all, not at all. Yeah, I mean, if you work in something that you're passionate about, you almost don't feel like you're working. It's something I'm figuring out for myself. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing an amazing job, though. <laughs> Thank you, you're sir. Doing an amazing Thank job. You. But did did you feel that it was wow? This is something that I'm very passionate about. I am I'm in the right place. I mean, there's a, there's a great range of activities and um, that that a, a diplomat will do overseas, depending on the country and, and the type of work um, that that we do. But I have to be honest, you know, I'm very fortunate being in Jeddah and the type of work that we do as a as a small consulate. And particularly when it's about, if we're, for example, helping British companies, uh, we'll spend a lot of time making introductions to um, local business families and and, and big companies or introducing them, for example, to some of the, the giga projects mm -hmm. that are happening up the Red Sea coast. So, you know, those are, that's exciting, that's yeah. fun. You yeah. know? And it's actually, we can see that we're making a difference, yeah. both in terms of the quality that the Saudi projects will have, but also in terms of, from our perspective, you know, what's really important is helping these UK companies be successful in the market, which is terrific. Do you see a lot of opportunities here in future for British companies to, uh, to pitch, to uh, work with uh, fellow Saudi companies? Oh, enormous, absolutely enormous. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a great history of trading relations between the UK and Saudi Arabia. Um, but I think from where we are now, things can only grow and grow. And I think there's, there's different reasons for that. And partly, certainly in terms of, if you see how the kingdom is diversifying its economy, moving away from oil, opening up all these new sectors, whether it's tourism, whether it's creative 
based, whether it's sports, whether it's technology, healthcare. These are all areas actually where the UK is really good. And so there's a kind of a natural partnership, I think, that forms between what we offer and what, what the kingdom needs. Yeah. So, uh, no, we're, we're hugely positive. And yeah. I think on, on a macro level, you know, we're looking to head towards a, a UK GCC free trade agreement being negotiated. And I think that will just allow things to go to the next level mm-hmm. uh, and really broaden out the whole range of trade that we hope can take place. Yeah. Uh, Saudi uh, has really invested a lot in tourism. And, um, you know, we hear about the resorts popping up left, right, and center. Do you foresee your Brit who loves his sunshine to uh, one day want to come to Saudi Arabia for holiday? Yes, and they're already coming. I mean, obviously, the vast majority of Brits who are coming in at the moment will be uh, religious uh, visitors. Mm-hmm. But I think it's inevitable as as the resorts open up. And um, we're seeing, you know, the developments so far in El Ula, for example. Mm which I think is a, you know, a terrific winter destination. And as the hotel capacity increases and the services are developed, then I am sure you will see lots of Brits coming in to experience them. I mean, yeah. it's comparable, of course, to the sites in Jordan or Petra. So I don't see any reason why not. And I think the other sites as well. I mean, this is one of, the, you know, one of those hidden things about, about the kingdom. You've got an amazing diversity of, of uh, climate and yeah. experience. You know, we saw, I'm sure you did the, the pictures uh, from the north the past few weeks, snow there. You know, then you've got, the, you've got the Dakar going on at the moment with these guys you know, uh, charging through the desert. And then in the south, you've got uh, Soda and you've got great sites Mountain for range, yeah. you know, adventure holidays as well. So, no, uh, for sure. I'm sure we will see more. Lots to be excited about looking, uh, looking forward uh, no, to. No, totally. I mean, it's, uh, we've had, I mean, in Jeddah, we've had an amazing December. Uh, we had Formula One mm. inaugural I saw, race. I saw you there with your flag. <laughs> you look like having a great time. Did you have fun? I did. I loved it. It was, uh, you know, I'd, I've never been to a Formula One race. So that was your first time? First time. And, you know, hey, it's in Jeddah. It's in our hometown. Yeah. So, uh, and close to the continent. Yeah. So we were thrilled to be able to attend. And uh, wow. I mean, that's just uh, uh, an amazing example, actually, of the kingdom taking on a, a project. Uh, okay, we're going to do F1 for the first time. Oh, and we're going to build a track. Oh, we'll build a marina while we're doing it. Okay. And we're going to do it in eight months or something. Wow. But pulled it off. Shocking. You know, it's, it's not, not shocking for us. It's shocking for anyone <laughs> to put together that in, in seven or eight months. Yeah. It was a sandpit. They, mm. they, they built a marina and they, yeah. they did the track and uh, just a lot of heat from media that it won't be ready, won't be ready. Well, it was ready, all right? And it was an amazing race. Mm. And I mentioned this in one of my previous episodes. I was talking to a Dutch guy, and he was like, it looks like this has been going on for six or seven years. I'm like, honestly, how is it? He was like, six or seven years. It doesn't look like it's your first race. It's flawless. Everything is where it needs to be. Everything's working. And uh, bravo, Saudi. This is Dutch man's words. I was like, thank you. I felt good about myself. You should. I had something to do with it. You should. No, I think it's, you know, Saudi Arabia deserves an awful lot of uh, credit for being, taking that on and delivering. Mm. I mean, Formula One, this is serious stuff. You know, it it has to work. You know, high high tech, high standards. High profile. uh, Very high profile. You know, we were talking about this, uh, I think we were on stage together with with Martin Whitaker, uh, CEO of Saudi Motorsport. You know, on Sunday evening, we were saying, you're going to have half a billion people watching Jeddah. Right. <laughs> Suddenly, you know. No pressure, Jeddah. No pressure, Jeddah. Um, so that was amazing. That but, just... but then at the same time, you, was it a week later, you had a Red Sea Film Festival. Um, That's another story. That's another success story. 
you know, that's if Formula One hadn't been happening, you know, Red Sea Film Festival would have been a headline grabbing moment. Yeah. And if you, you know, just take a step back, this is a international film festival, people coming around the world, Saudi films, international films in, in Jeddah, in the kingdom. Wow. And, you know, what, what an amazing showcase. Uh, it says a lot about the nature of change yeah. in the kingdom, um, but also about, I think, importantly, the, the kind of the aspirations and desires of young Saudis to develop their careers, this sense of empowerment and creativity yeah. that's being going. This matters. It, yeah, and it gave them a platform. If you're a director or a producer or an actor or an actress, mm. you can now pursue that. That was never the case. Mm. And there were some high-profile guests that came. Hilary Swank, if I pronounce that correctly, she was one of them. Uh, one of Bollywood's biggest actors. I saw Mohammed the Turkey. I think he went to the airport to collect him. He was that big of a guest. They uh, they pulled it off. He, this Mohammed the Turkey gentleman, incredible guy, really the right guy for the job, had him on the show, and um, he pulled it off. Uh, and this was our first Red Sea Film Festival. So it only begs the question: What's what's year two? You know, ten, fifteen gonna look like? <laughs> You've set a high bar. Yeah, uh, you have. Yeah, maybe. you have. Which is amazing to see. Before you came to Saudi, you know, you 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 went, uh, you had a tour in in Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Ghana, and India. Not memorized. I haven't noticed. <laughs> and and then China, which we'll get into. Before coming to Saudi, were there any apprehensions uh, or you know stereotypes that you had in mind that surprised you upon arrival? I think having spent a lot of time in the region and dealing with people from our other Arab countries, you kind of see a stereotype about Saudis being creative, which probably any country faces, but perhaps because of the history of the kingdom or its resources or its position or uh, traditions, who knows, but a, a certain you know, stereotype might be created. But actually coming into the kingdom, and then perhaps this is, I think, one of the specifics about Jeddah, um, although friends in Riyadh will disagree, but that the, the, the depth and genuineness of hospitality is second to none. I mean, I lived in Damascus for a few years, and the Syrians are wonderful hosts, and of course, and in, in Amman as well. No doubt about it, you know, wonderful people. But when you arrive in Saudi Arabia, my experience amongst friends here in, 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 in Jeddah, that uh, they throw their arms around you, um, and there's, a, there's a, a genuine desire to show off actually what's going on in the kingdom and to reflect honestly from uh, an individual's perspective, what life is like and what they have to offer. And um, perhaps to push past some of the more superficial stereotypes that, that are out there. So, I mean, every country is complicated inherently, but I think it's only when you spend time in a country, and I'm sure this also goes, by the way, for Saudi diplomats working in London, who may have a, you know, a particular opinion about the UK, but until they spend time living and working with Brits uh, in the same way that we do here, uh, with Saudi nationals, that you actually get a, a, a truer and fuller picture. And especially now, uh, given you know, the pace and change in the kingdom over the past few years has been, has been utterly remarkable. Truly. Truly. A lot of uh, different elements have accelerated due to COVID, which takes me into a point that I wanted to discuss with you. You were here when COVID started, when it all kicked off? I've not left. Yeah, I've been here throughout. So before and past. So yeah. you saw the whole thing unfold in Saudi. Yeah. What was your interpretation of how Ministry of Health and the country in general handled it? Uh, honestly, seriously good, for sure. I think right at the beginning, I mean, nobody's quite sure what they're dealing with and, and every country is trying to figure out what's the right response. You know, Saudi Arabia is taking 
decisions very quickly. An announcement was made, for example, about curfew or restrictions, uh, movement, and you're thinking, wow, is, is that too soon? Is that getting ahead? But actually what was shown was that Saudi Arabia was ahead of the curve uh, in the types of tough decisions that had to be taken. So I think, personally speaking, I've always had great confidence in the way the Saudi authorities have approached some of the tough decisions mm -hmm. that have been taken to manage it. Yeah. And I think the reaction from people in the kingdom has been really good as well. So, for example, use of masks, the way that uh, applications have been used um, to manage risk, the uptake on vaccinations has been really positive. So, you know, and, you know, the kingdom clearly has done a very good job in managing an unprecedented situation. Um, to say the least, yeah, the unprecedented, sure. yeah. You, you touched on, uh, on, on a point that I, I want to go back to, uh, which is how people reacted to it and how people followed the rules and regulate. Home at six o'clock, no cars on the street at six o'clock, masks, no one goes anywhere without the mask. Mm. So that was very good to see that orders came and we have never been told what to do to this degree ever. And everyone fell in line. Uh, which was which was good to see, and uh, perhaps one of the reasons why our death rates isn't that of the countries who have a similar population to Saudi, but with ten times the death rates. Mm. Um, and they and you you can tell that when Ministry of Health would say, okay, this has to happen, nothing else matters, not business, not uh, entertainment, not nothing else matters, mm. and um, and it was painful decisions, but money or souls so that was a decision we had to make well you know every, every country in a sense is, is 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 wrestling with this with the same you know equation about how to plot a way forward through that and it's you know, clearly it's not straightforward but certainly if you look about the big events that have taken place over the past few months you know the kingdom has put itself in a position of being able to host large events yeah. formula one or the concerts in the Riyadh, for example you know these, these have been huge events but you know, as we're seeing around the world, it's um, uh, no, the king at the moment. You know, cases are going up. Um, yeah, now with uh, this. So you know, that's the that's the the reality we're in. But uh, but no, I've you know I've got every confidence that the the way the authorities will approach it uh, will be to you know put public health uh, right at the top of their yeah. priority. You got all your vaccinations here? Uh, yes. Two, three. Yeah, boosted. Yep. How, how did I heard the third one is uh, is a bit of a tough toughie. Have you not had it yet? No. So for the longest time, they said you need at least six months between the second and third. And then recently they said, no, okay, you can have it if it's within two months. I, it just scares me a little bit because I was- Get your booster, Mo. Okay. Get it now. <laughs> I will. That's my <laughs> promise to you. I'll get it this weekend. Uh, the only reason, no, to be honest with you, um, I just heard that the third one is a little bit more aggressive than the first two. So you're going to be down for a few. I know it's not an excuse. Uh, I I shall book mine on Saturday, <laughs> and I will sh show you proof. <laughs> I, I, I will demand evidence <laughs> yes. of it. Next week. You you will receive it. <laughs> now I'll definitely have to go. <laughs> Your Excellency, you did three years in China. China is a country that uh, really is unique. I feel you know almost the new superpower of the world. You know, and um, there are cities that are the population of Saudi that no one's ever heard of, you know, with 20, 30 million people. What was your experience like uh, being in Shanghai? Um, yeah, I was, I, I was blown away, you know, putting, putting aside the politics and stuff. There's a, you know, the, the, there's a huge energy in Shanghai, especially a you know, population of 25 million people. Um, but it's, yeah, it's young, it's vibrant. It's um, everyone's a 
businessman or businesswoman. Everyone loves their technology. Every, everyone's trying to figure out a new initiative or everyone's an entrepreneur. It's, it's staggering, really. So it's a good experience. I mean, for me, uh, having spent most of my career in, uh, in the Middle East or, or in Africa, actually to see something completely different. So, I mean, it's a bit of a cultural shockwave at the beginning, if I'm being honest. You don't speak the language. Everything feels a bit different. And it takes time just to figure it out. But we really loved it. And the kids had a great time. Um, Made some good friends while you were there? For sure. Yeah. No, lo- lots of good friends. Three uh, years is a, is a long time. Yeah, but it, you know, it takes it takes a year or so, I think, in any country, particularly one you know, if it's culturally different to what you're used to, just to find your bearings a bit and figure out your work routine, your living routine, you know, and how you basically live your life. But no, I, I loved it, you know, and I think you know, China has got some absolutely amazing uh, sites to visit. It's uh, staggering history, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, I, I I loved pretty much every moment I was there in China. So yeah. fond so, memories. Yeah, fond memories. I mean, you know, food side, it's, uh, it's, it's more challenging sometimes, I have to say, particularly as a Muslim, when you're trying to avoid, uh, trying to avoid pork, that's yeah. not always straightforward. So I was mostly a vegetarian for three years. <laughs> I'm sure your energy levels were through the roof. I went vegan for a month and, and it just changed my life. It was fantastic. You became a Muslim, sir. Uh, how, has, how did that come about? Were you here were you living in the in the uk how did you become a muslim so i converted to islam uh well 25 years ago plus um when i was uh serving in khatoum in sudan my wife is sudanese i mean as, as background i was raised uh, a good uh, a good catholic uh, boy but like many you know drifted away from faith in in my teenage years but being in the middle east uh and i think sudan especially in that there's a I think people practice their faith in Sudan in, in a very pious way. And, and I think it's, it's very apparent and it's very obvious and it's very impressive. Um, and I think that for me, it was a kind of a, a religious reorientation, if you like. So I found myself back on a, on a spiritual path I was very comfortable with and remained on it ever since. Um, so I count myself very fortunate. And you managed to practice it in the rest of the countries that you went to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know fortunate to spend a lot of time uh, in the Middle East, so you know, praying in some of the wonderful mosques in Damascus and Aleppo, for example, mm-hmm. in Jordan as well. Even in China, despite the challenges, there are some interesting mosques still to visit there and to, and, and to pray. So, no, certainly, you know, and Islam is a global religion. Yeah. Uh, we see that you know, here when the, the the diversity of pilgrims coming in all the time, but. You know, ultimately, being being in the kingdom, you know, being able to uh, perform Umrah in, in Mecca, to go and pray in Medina, uh, is personally for me very, very special. It's come full circle for you. Indeed, you reached the the finish line. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> as, far as, no, as, as far as far as uh, being a Muslim is concerned, <laughs> if you weren't a diplomat, what do you think you'd be today? Gosh, what with my rubbish A level results, I, I I wonder. Actually, I, I was a musician as a kid. No um, what instrument? Uh, a trumpet. Fantastic. Because I'm from, as I said, I'm from the north of England. And in the north of England, we have a lot of uh, brass bands mm-hmm. traditions. So I played from a very young age a cornet, which is like a short trumpet. What, what, uh, what town in the north? Let me see if I know it. Small town. A seaside town, actually, like Cheddar, but smaller. Uh, Morecambe. No, so it's no a, chance. It's, have you heard of Blackpool? I did. Okay. So it's a, an hour or so north of uh, Blackpool. And a nor- a north as far as Newcastle? 
That's on the other side. Oh, so you're on the left. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Yes, we're on the left. Every Saudi knows Newcastle now. You so do we know, now. We know yeah. where it is. Yeah, yeah, we Expect yeah, yeah. Saudi to fly direct soon, I think, uh, to catch some games. Big things ahead, I'm sure. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. I'll segue back to that. But so, so life for you started there, and uh, and then you moved to London when your career took you there. Yeah, I as a, yeah, I was I'd uh, I'd, I'd applied for a, a job in the Foreign Office, and I'd travel down to London for for the interview and. Uh, Amazingly, they they gave me a job, so I moved south uh, moved south to London. I mean, if I hadn't have done that, I I don't know. I worked in a bank for a few months, uh, which was just terrible. Um, <laughs> really, not an experience I enjoyed. Um, dealing with customers, I don't think is. It was. I wasn't even dealing with customers. I mean, I was in a back office counting okay. checks or something. It it was really dull. So yeah, I, I guess you know I'd have loved maybe to have done something with music, but mm-hmm. but I realised I just probably wasn't good enough. Lots of passion, but shorter on the talent. I went to school in England, and what I really liked, uh, which we didn't have in Saudi, is how everyone had to play an instrument, and uh, which was refreshing. And these guys were very, very good. They take it very seriously, music. Mm. Not something I did so much. Rugby is what I played, and I was a lot more comfortable over there. But it was nice to see that uh, you'd have to pick up an instrument, which is something that I want to pass on to my son. I want him to start taking piano lessons. It just... I think it just activates a part of your mind that wouldn't be activated if you didn't play an instrument. Oh, I think I think it's hugely empowering. I mean, you know, I, I hated having to do my daily practice and and my mum, you know, telling me off for not doing it or something. But but once you reach a certain point where you know, the music you're producing doesn't sound awful and you're playing in a group and bands and stuff, as I was doing, um, then you really start to love it. And it helps develop other things, I'm sure, intellectually. It's, yeah. it's, it's a positive. It does. And I, I think I was reading tonight on Arab News, they were saying about uh, music schools opening up here in the kingdom. Yeah. So again, it's it's one of those good things that helps with the development of young people, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge amount of positives. Totally. It doesn't exist too much. I don't think it does. I mean, but it's good to see that, you know, we're, that there's places like that are opening in Saudi. I think mm-hmm. we need it. Newcastle, how did you feel about... Uh, the pickup of that club, the glorious club of Newcastle. Newcastle. Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of Burnley Football Club. And Burnley, obviously, a, you know, a global footballing superpower. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good team. It's it's it, it is a great it's, team. It's the dark horse in it's the Premier a, League. It's a great team, but we're having a bit of a, a difficult season. But we're above Newcastle, so um, all of this money that Newcastle's spending on new players, mm. I'm. Yeah, I'm not overly excited about that mm-hmm. because I'd be quite happy if Newcastle don't have too great a season. I want them to stay up. I want them to be successful, yeah, of course, yeah, but yeah. not not at the expense of my club. I don't think many non-Newcastle fans are happy with Newcastle right now. It's like, you know, your, uh, your neighbor who won the lottery. How does that help me kind of thing? You know, I think that the, the kingdom's made a shrewd, uh, a shrewd investment, but I think, like, I like like a lot of investments, you, you've got to think long term. Yeah, and you know, football is it's not like the stock market. You know, you can have great players and great stuff, and you still end up losing. But football's football's passion. You know, there's there's an emotion to it. It's not like investing in you know in a in a, in a factory or something. Yeah. yeah, where you can predict your rate of return or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about getting people excited about football, and you know Newcastle's got such a, a massive tradition, uh, you know, and passionate fan base. I think it'd be a terrific ride, yeah. but it'd be a roller coaster, be ups and downs. It'll take time. I think it's a harder mission than uh, what Abu Dhabi had to face with City. I think Newcastle are in a bigger hole, so the challenges will be bigger. 
But I love that it's a one club city. I love uh, how the fan base are all about Newcastle. Great fans. They fill up stadiums even if they're 20th or in the, in Division 1 uh, or Championship as it's called. The stadium is fantastic. The city is really nice. And I think the price was as well. Well, you know, it's um, you know, investing in football. It, it takes time and it takes a lot of money. I don't know how much uh, has been invested in Manchester City uh, over the years. A little uh, less than that. It was 200 and change. I don't know how that, much. They, that was uh, 10 years ago. How much they spent on their players and things. Yeah, um, no, that's, that's yeah, add, add a couple more zeros. A lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. But it's, um, you know, f- football in England especially. It's uh, it's such an amazing global brand. It's it's loved it's, all over the world. It's true. Um, it's because it's great football. I can't watch uh, any other league. No, it, it's it's terrific. I mean, and it's it's great quality and it's international and there's players from all over the globe. But also, I think people sense the passion and the emotion around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, we're delighted. You know, there's investment in the UK football um, from around the world. Yeah. So uh, it's it's great to have Saudi on board as well. I just love how. The closest seat to the pitch is about two meters, if that. You don't get that kind of intimacy in in other stadiums. In Saudi, for the longest time, there'd be an Olympic running track. Now the one in Jeddah finally doesn't have that. So we're we're close to the players. And in England, it's even closer. I went to Craven Cottage in Fulham. I I mean, I can hear the guy whispering if he's about to take a corner. Uh, So I think the access and the intimacy you have with, you know, your heroes on the field gives you something that uh, other stadiums around the world don't. It's it's true, yeah. I mean, certainly the older the older grounds, and I'll mention Burnley Football Club again, just to give them a plug, yeah. you know, formed in the 1880s. I mean, wow. you know, there's a tradition in, in history with these clubs that are uh, connected to the towns, mm. you know, and part of the fabric of the society. Yeah. So, so it matters. But in Saudi Arabia, of course, I mean, Jeddah, you know, you've got some passion of football fans so Etihad yeah serious uh, serious fans but but I mean Etihad is known uh, throughout Saudi to have the the best fan base does this explain the colors on your uh, (laughs) it's been asked it's been asked before (laughs) I know this is going to upset my Hilali fans but between Hilal and Ittihad, you know, you've got two. If if you're playing King's Cup final and it's Ittihad versus Hilal, which is a dream matchup for the ratings, if you will, if it was the US, you're talking an atmosphere that is, you know, better than a Classico or the Manchester Derby. Like, it's really incredible. Yeah. And and if if we are fortunate enough to have that matchup, I, I beg that you attend and, and see what it's like. Love to. Yeah, it's fantastic. Love to. Your Excellency, what failure or perceived failure has helped you propel your career to where you are today, would you say? Oh, that's a good question. Well, obviously, my, my failure at A-levels was you know, my, my primary driver. So sorry that you have to go, keep going back. You, to- you keep going back, don't you? Why, you know, tell us about when you failed. Oh, okay. Yes, oh, my, God. My, my D at uh, A-level physics or whatever. Um, tough subject. Tough subject. I think yeah, the, the, the wise... Uh, business people talk, talk about, you know, you need your failures to, to grow, don't you? So I suppose in our profession, it's like, like many jobs, it's typically uh, career interviews. You know, it's jobs you apply for and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm the best candidate for this. I'm going to go forward and then slap. No, yeah. you don't. And I think those are always good. And I think there's a, no, they're, they're, they're horrible at the time. But, but when you look back, and I think there's a, there's a culture of feedback that we maybe didn't have in the past. So uh, you know, you get the, e- the email saying, you know, thank you for your application. However, 
You know, well, you're a very good candidate. Yeah, it's always that however that bothered however, me. Everything before the, the but, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that um, you weren't successful. But then you, you get the feedback. And I've done this on jobs that I've you know, failed miserably to, to land. And you think, oh, wow. Okay, really? I, I come across like this? Or I you know, talked about this issue and I didn't talk about that? Um, so I think as long as you keep an open mind and don't take it too personally, which is difficult for the first 10 minutes when you've, you know, you've, you've not got something. But, you know, you take a deep breath and you figure it out and you, you try and take your lessons from that and move forward. But, uh, but yeah, it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. Where do you get your inspiration from? Wow. Well, we've got five kids. So that means there's... Mashallah. Mashallah. So, yeah, that means there's no shortage of suggestions or <laughs> ideas or opinions some of which are good, some of which are too expensive, some of which aren't going to happen. So I think, yeah, sure, a lot comes from that, just because um, running around for all these years and our kids span the age of nine through to 24. So And yeah. all, all live with you in Jeddah? The two youngest are in Jeddah okay. and three are in the UK. So, you know, running around after kids for 20-odd years for both of us has... You know, it makes you resilient, I think. So I think from that, we draw some inspiration. But I think there's something very diplomatic life. It's a bit like military life in the sense of every three or four years, you move on to, to a different location, a different job and a different venue, a different set of friends, which is tiring. And it's complicated sometimes, particularly around kids and schooling and things like that. Not straightforward. Um, but it does give you a chance to renew a little. So to take stock, to start again, uh, to press reset. Um, and that's, I think, if you're, if you're open and you've got the energy levels, that, that can keep you going. I think that explains why I've still got a full head of hair, but it's going to be graying on the sides. <laughs> it's all there, I, I can assure you. <laughs> you have been on the move for 25 years. I, I mean, mashallah, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. It's, uh, it shows how adaptable you are, which is very impressive. That inspires me. Do you see yourself wanting to uh, settle down and live in Saudi post-retirement? Has that ever crossed your mind? Or do you miss home? Um, for sure, miss home. You know, you, you miss family. And COVID's complicated that yeah. so much for everybody, hasn't it? But yeah, I mean, it's... Um, Retirement, I think I just put that in, I'm in denial somewhere uh, about these issues. But I mean, Saudi's um, one of those places that I can absolutely imagine myself uh, uh, spending a lot of time after I finish work. And not just because it's a beautiful country, but because of the, you know, the warmth and friendliness of the people, which is, which is hugely genuine, um, you know, and really touching. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can see myself coming back here a lot in shop. I'd love to have you. You seem very happy here. What's something you feel that everyone should experience once in their life? I know they say, you know, try something new every day, do one thing every day that scares you. But is there something that you feel everyone should experience? Come to Jeddah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Jeddah. Jeddah. Jeddah is different. I mean, it's probably a cliche, but cliches are true, aren't they? So, mm -hmm. um, but the, the whole travel issue, I yeah. think it's, um, it's empowering. It's, I mean, I... I have this debate with my kids because, you know, I spent from being born uh, till I was 18 living in the same small town. So a very you know, narrow, narrow view of the world. And this is 
before the internet and we had three television channels and we got very excited when a fourth appeared. So, you know, you didn't actually understand how a lot was going on in the world. And I explained, you know, when my kids are complaining about moving around so much. And you do feel guilty moving around every three or four years, for sure. But actually what they've experienced is a, is a completely different journey to what I experienced. And they're far more rounded and knowledgeable and probably tolerant and familiar with the other and understanding and different perspectives. Which, which is really powerful. And I think, you know, if you like the recent history of Saudi Arabia, and by recent I'm talking about the past 20 years or so, where you've got this young population that's been plugged online through YouTube or other means, you know, very high level of uh, social media usage here. So people are actually hugely knowledgeable about the world, but actually going and experiencing it and talking to people, learning other languages, um, understanding why something happens in that country, which on the face of it might seem strange, broadens the mind. Yeah. Uh, so travel broadens the mind, no doubt about it. Got to do it. Great suggestion, honestly. And it gives you tolerance as well to people, to cultures, understanding on uh, you know what, uh, what these people are about, what are their beliefs, what are their ethics, mm. their religion. I've been putting off going to India for the longest time, but now I want to go explore. I want to understand you know, how that country works. I want to visit the Taj Mahal. I, I want to get out there on the road, you know, backpack, train, whatever it takes, maybe when COVID subsides a little bit. But that's something five years ago that I was like, nope, no way. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I think as you get older, you want your comforts. So you want the AC, you want the fridge, you know, <laughs> you want to have it, you know, you want to experience everything, yeah. but you, you want a bit of comfort with it as well. Um, I mean, one of my first postings was, was in India and I was in three years in, in Delhi and uh, I loved it. I think it's uh, one of those you know, countries you just have to experience because of its diversity and color and noise and food. And you know, it's just, uh, just a, a wonderful place, absolutely. From all the countries before Saudi, which one do you miss the most or which one jumps off the page? I, I miss Damascus. Damascus. Um, because we had a, a very happy three years uh, in Syria. Whether again, wonderful people, amazing culture, the history, terrific food, yeah. uh, and, and everything else. So, a you know, and it's uh, greatly missed uh, not being able to go back there. But you know, each place you each place you go to has pros and cons. You know, there's pluses and minuses. So, you know, but that's good. I mean, I think when when you put that all, that all together, then it's from that that you, you you learn your life experiences and you look back and you think, wow, that was terrific, even if. You know, it wasn't <laughs> even if there was problems or difficulties arising sometimes. But yeah. um, but no, Syria definitely a special place in the yeah world. yeah it was it's on the map. I mean, Damascus was like Beirut. You know, a lot of people go visit. It has culture. It uh, it has attractions. I I you know missed out, and I'd love the opportunity to go and visit. And inshallah, like uh, things go back to normal there, and uh, you know, peace is uh, is instilled in, in that country. Inshallah, yeah, Rabb. What's your biggest fear? Biggest fear. Oh, it's, it, it's, I think we've got degrees, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, degrees of uh, fear. I mean, it's, uh, whenever we go on Twitter and we, you know, we, we send some message out, either in broken English or in broken Arabic. Um, and then. I heard your Arabic, it's not bad. Oh, it, <laughs> it's, it's better than you think it is, honestly. It's, it's, I, Survival, I think, is the phrase. But the um, but typically, when you, as soon as you press send on something, whatever it is, and you, you know, get, oh, 
oh, okay, yeah, got it, got it. how do I delete that? How do I get it right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're a father, you know, and it's it's typically about, you know, your kids, isn't it? You know, about, you know, as, as a parent, you get things right, you get things wrong because we're human and that's life, you know, and you're just trying to minimize the stuff you get wrong as a parent and try and maximize the good stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I suppose the, the nag at the back of your mind is, oh, have I got that right? Is that, did I get that right? No, I got that wrong and my, my kids have told me I've got it wrong, so okay. <laughs> try and learn. Yeah. Your Excellency, is there something you'd wish to accomplish before retirement? Perhaps uh, an ownership stake at Burnley Football Club? <laughs> yes, actually, be my new goal to, to uh, pers- persuade uh, friends in Saudi Arabia they should be investing in uh, yes. Burnley Football Club, but uh, I, I fear that may not be possible. Probably not. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give it a go. So, yeah, I mean, uh, having spent so long in the Middle East, uh, I, sh- I should definitely uh, improve my Arabic. So that's definitely one of those things that's on the it's been on my to-do list for feels like 25 years does quran help you reading does that help strengthen i think for people for foreigners learning arabic it's it's always challenging in the tough tough language it's i tell you what i know you know speaking to friends who have been through um the arabic training that that we provide in 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 the foreign office it's that we are taught fusha so we speak you know lovely arabic and we can do television interviews and we can, you know, we can talk about very profound things. But then you go to the, the shops and you're trying to have a casual conversation. And that's a different set of vocabulary. It's Amir. It's, it's, it's a different language almost. So I think for foreigners learning Arabic, there's always that question about how they uh, develop both. Yep. And, and it's a struggle. I think as Muslims with the Quran, then of course, I mean, we read the Quran and... Uh, and for prayer, of course. But the um, but Arabic is such a, a wonderfully rich, and diverse language that it's it's almost never ending as a foreigner. When I think when you're learning, but that's one of the terrific things about it. I mean, because it, it's, I think it's a language that's connected to the soul of the people. You know, it's it, it's woven into you know, the the fabric of uh, of the whole society. You know, whether it's family, whether it's faith, um, and how people think. So you're not just learning a language, you're actually learning something more profound. So that's why it's great fun. But yeah, it's hard work. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, writing is the hardest. It's the least I do. And when I write, I realize how far behind I am. Advice to your 30-year-old self, if you manage to have that conversation with him. Oh, probably lay off the Mars bars. <laughs> just, uh, just go, uh, go Twix instead. Yeah, skip, skip the desserts. Yeah, go. This is uh, you know one of the perils of uh, being a diplomat. You know, they, uh, they say diplomats are good at two things: talking and eating. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, when I look back. Where was I when I was thirty? You know, the uh, the great hospitality that I undoubtedly enjoyed in in many countries. I remember in Jordan, we would we would go out um, to meet uh, families. In different cities, Tafilim, Ma'an, Karakam places, and you would be, you know, hosted wonderfully with huge uh, plates of mansa. Um, God, I love that. Which is just wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's delightful, but it, you 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 pay a price. You do. You pay a price. Yeah. So um, it's a good meal to have before fasting the next day. <laughs> yes. you, know, you probably won't be hungry by the time sunset comes. <laughs> it's it's staggering. It's it's, it's, it's wonderful. And obviously in Saudi, you've got a you know, terrific range of, of, of food as well. So Endless, yeah. um, it's it's too good. So yeah, I've for years I, I've tucked in. So 
I know, look, <laughs> looking at some of my photos, it's, uh, you can tell when I've been going through a phase of just enjoying the food too much. Yeah, you know, oh, he's wearing those suits again because he has to. And then, you know, you, actually, it's one of the, during COVID, obviously, we, you know, there wasn't much going out, just mostly staying at home. So uh, I managed to cut out a whole range of uh, heavy dinners for, for a year. So I lost weight. So uh, this, was my, this was my major achievement. Yeah, I would imagine you're invited to a place probably five, five days a week and everyone wants to, you know, offer you as, as much as they can and then you pay the price for it. <laughs> so, so it's a diplomat. I'm losing sympathy already with the audience. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's true. You, you get a lot of that. And I've got, you know, if there's great food and if this is Jeddah, there's always great food. Yeah. And I've got zero willpower. Yeah. We all do. I mean, the, the one comment that I have on that is that we just, we offer a bit too much. You know, there's always rice for 10 people if there's three people eating. Uh, and uh, and I just, you know, I, I hope it doesn't go to waste, but we have this thing in our culture where ikram al-dif is to, to give your guest as much as you can. Yeah. And um, and yes, you and I have both been the beneficiary of that. You maybe to a bigger degree. <laughs> but uh, but good good to see that, some, that there was a silver lining in COVID <laughs> that you bought yourself some new suits. I got myself some new suits, yeah. That's about it. <laughs> I know we have a busy schedule. I don't want to keep you here for much longer. If you could have the attention of the world for 30 seconds on a hypothetical billboard, is there a message that you would like to put out? I mean, you are a globetrotter. Mashallah, you've been to uh, many, many countries and you got to mix with many, many different cultures. Is there, is there a message that you would like to send to the world something that you feel that from all your travels and everything that you've been through, this would be like the common message you would like to send out to everyone. Wow, that's that's a big question, Moses. Um, you, can t- you can take your time. I'm you know I'm reaching for the profound now. No, I'd I'd, I'd go back to trusted cliches and probably look for the look for inspiration with the Beatles and go for something like "All you need is love." <laughs> John Lennon can't go wrong. That's true. That would solve love and kindness. I've said it before. It'll solve many of our problems. Back to basics. Yeah, back to basics. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. Uh, I've t- I've kept you here for longer than I wanted. I, I I do apologize for that. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to chat to you and taking time out of your busy schedule. Is there anything you would like to say before we get out of your hair, as they say? No, Mo. Thank you so much for the for the kind invitation to to join you. It's been a lot of fun. And best wishes for. Uh, future episodes in the podcast. We'll all be listening. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me and I really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Man.